Ladies and gentlemen. Ali, a sneaky right hand. Another sneaky right hand. This time he works over the shoulder of Foreman. Talking some boxing this hour. Shakur Stevenson in the ring tomorrow night here at T-Mobile Arena Special Thursday night extravaganza and a good one. Top Rank Boxing presents the double header, the championship double header tomorrow night. Shakur Stevenson, 20 and 0, 10 knockouts against the Dominican Slugger Edwin De Los Santos, 16 and 1, 14 KOs, and they will battle for the WBC Lightweight World Championship tomorrow night. And if you want to go, we'll put you there. 702-221-7283. Give me a strong boxing take. It could be about this fight or anything else coming up. We got you, but tomorrow night it's T-Mobile Arena, ESPN Plus, uh, or any regular ESPN. So we should make that very clear. This is ESPN and ESPN Plus as well. So we got tickets to give away for that. Also, another great co-feature uh, as well, Emmanuel uh, Navarrete. He's 38-1 and with 31 knockouts against um, the WBO junior lightweight champion from Brazil, two-time challenger, Robson Conceal. Yeah. So uh, it's going to be two great main events tomorrow night at T-Mobile Arena. And again, uh, we got F1 this weekend. That'll be uh, just craziness. So boxing moved up to Thursday to uh, T-Mobile Arena there uh, for tomorrow night's uh, fight. Top Rank Boxing presents, again, ESPN. Looking forward to being there for that. And my tag team partner will be there as well, too, who covers it for the Las Vegas Review Journal, the one and only Sam Gordon. Sam, what's going on, brother? Good, man, it does. It does. It, it's, it's taken me a while to, to get used to a Thursday night, you know, card like this, especially a championship one like this. But uh, what, you know, that's what we're hearing, right, Sam? I mean, this, this card basically got moved up from a, from a Saturday to, to, to Thursday. Not really moved up because it was planned, but it was kind of really the only slot that they could do because they didn't want to mess with everything that's going on with uh, F1 for Saturday night, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, this, the decision to have the fight um, on, on Thursday uh, is more an ESPN thing than a top rank thing uh, per se. With, with ESPN wanting to use the fight as a way to kind of lead in uh, to the F1 coverage this weekend. So, as unconventional as it is, uh, it is part of a plan by ESPN with uh, whom Top Rank has uh, a content distribu- distribution agreement. So uh, that that's why it's going to be on a Thursday. So, yeah, definitely a different vibe. But uh, you would imagine that on the broadcast tomorrow, there's going to be all kinds of, of shots and scenery of the F1 uh, and whatnot, because F1 also will be broadcast on ESPN this weekend. Yeah, yeah. In, in a, uh, what, 10.30 at night race on Saturday night, right, Sam? Uh, yeah, yeah, um, <laughs> definitely. A little, a little late, right? But that is also, right, TC, to accommodate uh, the, the international audience. Correct. Uh, F1 is... 
right. certainly more popular around the world than it is here in the United States, and barely a presence in the United States at all until relatively recently. I think they had a, a Grand Prix in Austin, and now they're in Miami, and, and of course, um, Las Vegas. But, uh, yeah, that's, that, that's why there's the 1030 start time. So, so TV times and, and broadcasting rights, right, TC, as we know, they, they play such a role in timing of events and scheduling and whatnot. And we are seeing that uh, come to fruition again this weekend. Yeah, no doubt about it. All right, well, speaking of which, and we're going to talk about this fight tomorrow night because I'm looking forward to, to the, the card tomorrow night at T-Mobile Arena. But also tomorrow, Sam, uh, speaking of, of international, we've got a press conference tomorrow. And I didn't know if you were going to be on a red eye or, or trying to catch them both, man, because we've got Tyson Fury and uh, Alexander Yusik. They're set to fight in February 17th. Huge press conference tomorrow in London to kick off this, this big you know, three-month uh, promotion. And I believe that is the fight that everybody's wanting to see. We know that Tyson Fury just came off of a little you know, exhibition, so to speak, right? Even though it was a, a boxing match uh, last week. But now he's got a sight set on Usyk. And uh, so talk a little bit about that. Well, this is a fight I think that the, the, heavy, the heavyweight division has been longing for and waiting for for... I don't know, since Alexander Usyk first beat Anthony Joshua a couple of years ago. This, this, there was an inevitability to this. Uh, of course, the business side, the, the business matters, uh, always take precedent. And, and, uh, and it was about timing and about finding the money available. And, of course, uh, Saudi Arabia, with, with the money that they have, with basically an unlimited uh, budget, I'm told uh, up to $4 billion. Uh, that, that, that they have available to, to finance these fights and whatnot. And uh, that, that um, finally they were able to reach a deal. And, of course, the fight was originally scheduled for, I, I believe, December 23rd. But because of how Fury performed and looked, and he was cut a, a little bit and, you know, bruised up a, a bit by Francis Nagano and what was a totally underwhelming performance, right? First and foremost, just a, a quick segue, um, great performance by Francis Nagano. He, he took everything seriously. He took training camp seriously. He showed up in shape, and he showed up wanting, ready to win the fight. And it looked like Tyson Fury thought all he had to do was show up. He clearly did not have a full 12-week camp, and as a result, you saw the fight uh, that you saw, right? But uh, because of what happened that night, um, that, that fight, the Undisputed Heavyweight Championship, got moved to February. Uh, and as a result, filling that December 23rd date was a car that was announced today that's going to feature Anthony Joshua, uh, Deontay Wilder, Dimitri Bivol, and, and several other uh, notable champions, not necessarily against top opposition, but more so just a showcase uh, and a real flex for what the financial capabilities are um, in Saudi Arabia. That being said, as it pertains to Tyson Fury and Alexander Usyk, uh, it's a great matchup. It's a great fight, and and, and you would expect, uh, especially coming off of that last performance and knowing what's at stake, knowing how great of a of a boxer, of a mover, uh, the, the the sneaky power that Usyk has as a heavyweight, he's gonna. I would expect him to come in 110 uh, percent, totally in shape, committed. Uh, to a training camp and have a full camp because that that it, it, that's what it's going to require a, a half uh, ditch effort against Alexander Usyk isn't going to get it done. However, if it's the Tyson Fury that we know that we've seen against Deontay Wilder and, and, and then in subsequent fights after that before Francis Ngannou, I think he's just too big and too strong for Alexander Usyk. Just this, the length, the size, it's a lot to deal with. We saw Francis Ngannou. Part of the reason he had success was because he was you know two sixty five, two seventy, as strong, even stronger. Uh, than Fury, certainly an, an unconditioned Fury as well. So if Fury's in condition and, and on weight and on point, um, he, he should have no, I'm not going to say no problem. I think it'll be an interesting fight nonetheless, but I, I would expect Fury to, to aim for the stoppage. That's been his style since he got with Sugar Hill Stewart uh, out of the Kron Gym up there in Detroit. Uh, but but it don't, you know, Usyk brings a lot to the table, and I expect him to, to box and move and make things interesting, and it should be, uh, a fun promotion in the next few months, knowing how big of personalities both guys have. And I think, Sam, as far as Tyson Fury goes, the only question that I have is, I mean, how much longer does he want to do this? How much love and passion does he still have it? Now, you you know he's going to get it for the, the big fight. He's he's wanted this one, and he's going to you know put on the show, and he's going to sell the fight like only Tyson Fury can. But remember, I mean, we've heard... Uh, him announce his retirement, you know, going back, you know, after Wilder and, and, and even, you know, recently within the last year or so, I'm done, I'm done. And then he comes out and, and does the thing with uh, Francis Ngannou. I understand, you know, kind of a, an easy paycheck for him, but yeah, the fight was more difficult than probably he anticipated. And it, he would probably admit himself, okay, he wasn't in the best of shape. Maybe he didn't take it too seriously, but now he will take this serious. But 
again, with Tyson Fury, he's got the belts, he's got the money, and uh, he has you know, told us before that he was done. But here we go once again. Nothing new to the sport of boxing, Sam, because your retirement means absolutely nothing with in this sport of boxing, as we well know. But what is your take about Tyson Fury over the last two years? Yeah, I think it was just. Um, I, I think he was just angling for big money. Uh, TC, really. I, I think it was just kind of waiting for the biggest and the biggest paydays to, to, to come to fruition. And, and you know, he took some. He took the mandatory. He had made his mandatory defense. Uh, I believe it was about a year and a half ago now of his WBC title against Dillian White, and then a stay busy fight against uh, Derek Chisora last December. That nobody that there was absolutely no demand for. We had already saw that twice. You know, in, ten years ago, and, and with Fury winning. Uh, both fights, so there, there wasn't there wasn't a lot of demand for that. So the, to your point, the fight against Usyk in early 2024 is going to be really the first high profile uh, competitive. You know, the Nagano fight was competitive, although it wasn't necessarily supposed to be. But it's it's the first true test I, I think he's going to have in in two two years and some change. And I, I think that speaks to a number of factors, right? I think it speaks to the the lack of depth. Uh, in the heavyweight division, beyond the top dogs at, at, at the very top, you know Deontay Wilder, whom he's already defeated twice. He's fighting Alexander Usyk. Uh, he's beaten a number of the contender level fighters, you know, in his past, and that really leaves, in terms of this generation of heavyweights, um, only Anthony Joshua. So I, I think, you know, the lack of, of premier opposition, waiting out the biggest paychecks, making sure he could get the absolute biggest uh, bag possible, certainly played a role in, in just kind of how he's handled the, these last couple of years. But certainly, TC. Uh, feel your frustration, right? Uh, seeing an all-time, uh, you know, certainly a modern great and potentially an all-time great talent, right? And Tyson Fury in the heavyweight division just kind of watch his career stagnate in the last couple of years and with it, the heavyweight division. So hopefully when, when Tyson Fury and Alexander Usyk do battle in, in February, at least gets the heavyweight division back on track. And, you know, the card in December, right? That features Anthony Joshua, Deontay Wilder uh, should help play a role as well. That Those two, uh, I mean, we've been wanting to see those guys fight. That fight is five years overdue at this point. I, I think there's still merit in it. It's still a big fight. I would, I would still love to see it, uh, but I would have loved to see it a lot more in 2018. So uh, we'll see what happens, you know, provided Fury gets by Usyk, which again is, is not a given by any means. But in terms of the opposition out there available for him right now, it really feels like, you know, Anthony Joshua, maybe uh, Zile Zhang, uh, you know, Big Bang, who, who's had a couple really, really signature victories over George, Joe Joyce, and then maybe you know maybe Fury waits for for uh, for Jared Big Baby Anderson, the young heavyweight uh, that Top Rank is promoting to, to evolve a little bit to become a, a big enough of a draw to really challenge him. So uh, I think it's multifaceted, but yeah, no doubt about it. Frustrating uh, that we haven't seen him at the highest of levels in, in a couple of years. Hopefully Usyk brings out the best in him, and he brings out the best in Usyk as well. All right, tomorrow night, uh, right here, T-Mobile Arena, Thursday Night Fights. Uh, Top Rank Boxing presents uh, on ESPN, Shakur Stevenson, 20-0 against uh, Edwin De Los Santos. Uh, this is a good fight, and we also got a, a, a great co-main as well, too. Both championship fights here, Sam. You were at the press conference yesterday. Give me your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, Shakur Stevenson, look, they, they're, they, they, Top Rank has, has tried for a long time to get him top op opposition uh, even, you know, going the mandatory route to try and enforce a mandatory with, with Devin Haney. I mean, Isak Pitbull Cruz was a potential opponent for him who bypassed on the opportunity. And then most recently, Frank Martin, uh, Errol Spence's uh, protege and fighter uh, under the PBC banner as well. They, they had reached a deal and it, it fell through at the 11th hour. Uh, and, and now Shakur Stevenson is fighting Edwin De Los Santos. So not necessarily the household name. Uh, that, that other opponents may have presented, but what Edward De Los Santos does present, moving up from 130 pounds, I think this is a second or third fight at 135. Look, he's called for Shakur Stevenson for years. A guy that nobody's calling out to fight in the division. He's wanted Shakur Stevenson. He's going to be game. He, he has power, 16-1, and one, uh, 14 knockouts. He can brawl a little bit. He can box, too. He's skillful. He may be unknown, but there's an element of skillfulness and there's an element of power that he brings to the table uh, that being said, I, I just think Shakur Stevenson, TC, is just too good. Uh, I think we're looking at, at 26 years old, a, I mean, already on a majority of the pound-for-pound pound list. I mean, pretty much everyone that I see is certainly on my personal pound-for-pound pound list, for whatever that's worth, uh, in the top 10. And, and, and a fighter that's vying for a, at 26 years old, a championship at 135 pounds, that would be a, a third division uh, already. You'd be a, a, a three-division champion. So, when you take a look at Stevenson's skill set, right, the, the, the footwork, uh, he's a southpaw, the IQ, uh, the, the, the sense of timing, the sense of punch selection, 
his the way he controls range and distance and you know boxing at the end of the day hit and not get hit right that's the game that's the name of the game that's how you last a long time in this business and walk out of it with your faculties still intact that's what he does and there's been an element of showmanship and, and some power that he's been able to add and, and, and develop uh, in his in his 135 pound debut in April he secured a sixth round stoppage and uh, and it's quite possible that we're just now seeing him really start to develop uh, his man strength as he settles into 135 pounds. So I think it's it's going to be a better you know matchup and more stylistically entertaining than expected, or certainly than the betting line uh, depicts. Uh, Stevenson last I checked, I believe was minus 1300, and De Los Santos plus 700. Look, I, I'm expecting Stevenson to win comfortably, but you're you're in there with a game fighter that has a, something to prove that it's a world title opportunity on ESPN nationally televised and an opportunity for him to make a name for himself in 135 pound division. So he's going to come to fight, but, but there's levels in this boxing thing. As we know, TC and Shakur Stevenson is an elite level fighter, an a level fighter, potentially an a plus level fighter. Uh, he just needs the right opposition to show it. I think De Los Santos is going to bring some of it out of him. Uh, and I expect ultimately Stevenson to, to leave the ring with his hand raised uh, and, and I think the stoppage is in play. The the the, the over under uh, in terms of rounds is ten and a half. I believe minus three thirty for the under. So odds makers are expecting a stoppage. They see the power that Stevenson has. They see the skill set, and they see the skill set that De Los Santos presents opposite him. So good vibes, good buzz at the press conference. We'll see what the atmosphere is like tomorrow night. All right, there it is. T- uh, tomorrow night, T-Mobile Arena as uh, Top Rank Boxing presents a, a great card last night featuring Shakur Stevenson in the main event. Looking forward to being out there with that. Like I said, uh, we've got tickets to give away for that for tomorrow night. All right, Sam, let's uh, turn our attention to the Raiders. Got a chance to see you out there Sunday night. Uh, it was, uh, wasn't the prettiest of games with it uh, featured, what, seven field goals and 10 punts, uh, in one touchdown. Not really what we want to see, but a uh, bottom line is the Raiders got the W for the second week in a row. They, uh, beat a pair of New York teams, the Giants and the Jets. Now the schedule is going to get a little bit tougher for them as the Raiders now travel to Miami. Then they got Kansas City on deck, the Chargers after that, and then your Minnesota Vikings. So, uh, give me your take of what you've seen from the Raiders the past two weeks. Antonio Pierce, and against two lesser opponents. Well, there's no question Antonio Pierce has completely revitalized the Raiders' locker room. I mean, it was lifeless. It was in a lull. Uh, those guys didn't enjoy playing for Josh McDaniels. It's as simple as that. And who can blame them when, when you see the results that they put forth every week and, and you know about the long um, working hours to not get any results? Enter Antonio Pierce, charismatic cares about the players on a personal level, makes an effort to connect with them, and there's a uh, just an inherent respect that they have for him, being that he was a star linebacker in the league, the anchor of a defense uh, in the middle, that Mike linebacker that won a Super Bowl, that defeated the New England Patriots, that just so happened to be coordinated offensively by Josh McDaniels. So the culture is completely different, and what I really admire about Antonio Pierce so far, TC, is he's a CEO coach. Right, like there, there are all different kinds of coaches in the NFL. Some handle the offensive play calling, some handle the de- the defensive play calling. He's just running the ship. He's a CEO, like Mike Tomlin, like Mike Vrabel, like like uh, John, John Harbaugh. Doesn't have to call the plays. Trusting his coaches, empowering his coaches, uh, empowering his players. So far, uh, offensively, the, the, the players are having input in, in what the scheme is and what kind of plays. Uh, the Raiders are running, and, and defensively what you've seen is a rejuvenated defense. Now, as you alluded to, getting the chance to play Tommy DeVito and Zach Wilson in successive weeks certainly helps, but all the Raiders can do is play who's on the schedule. And as we saw three weeks ago, T.C., against a, a woeful Chicago Bears team, I mean, how the defense play against Tyson Bajant and the Bears, right? Like, at three weeks ago, it was not a given that the Raiders could stop anybody, any quarterback, didn't matter their pedigree, didn't matter what they brought to the table, Tyson Badgett cooked the Raiders, and the Raiders laid an absolute egg in Chicago. That's not the case. They've played with fire. They've played with passion. They've played with enthusiasm. Uh, they, they destroyed the Giants. The Jets, I thought, represented a step up in class, being that, yes, they had the same offensive issues, but the Jets, as we saw Sunday, TC, presented a real challenge defensively with their pass rush, with their secondary, and with their ability uh, to scheme up a complicated defense that Aiden O'Connell kind of had to just take what was given in his second start of his NFL career. Uh, now, this Saturday, or this Sunday, rather, you're stepping up in class again. A Miami Dolphins team leading the NFL, in both in yards uh, and in points. We know about Tua Taco Bailoa, the explosive offensive passing attack with Tyreek Hill 
and Jade Waddle. Conversely, however, their defense can be had. So uh, are, do I expect the Raiders to shut down the, Jet, the, the Dolphins like they did the Jets? Absolutely not. But there are going to be opportunities for the Raiders to move the ball. And Antonio Pierce said today uh, that he's anticipating a track meet. That, that, that's what they're preparing for. And, and he believes his run game and his defense is going to travel. So uh, the, the, gradually, with each game so far, I think you're learning a little bit more and more about Antonio Pierce as a coach and how the Raiders respond to him. They have embodied his toughness. They have embodied his aggression. And they're going to need every ounce of that uh, as, I believe, 13-point favorites now. The line, I think, started at 9.5. Prep at various books, uh, I've seen it fluctuate, TC, but 13, 13.5 um, is what I've been seeing today. So the, the, the odds makers, the betters, the public doesn't believe in the Raiders. But guess what? The Raiders believe in the Raiders. The Raiders believe in Antonio Pierce. And they're going to have an opportunity on Sunday to come out and make a real statement win, uh, being at 5-5, five and five, having a chance to get back uh, into the real thick of the AFC, AFC wildcard race. I'm not expecting it, per se, but there's no doubt that there's a belief at that facility over there in Henderson in what this team can accomplish that did not exist as recently as three weeks ago. Sam Gordon joins us, Las Vegas Review Journal. Sam, I'm just overly impressed. I mean, I mean, you're coming out now with with the betting numbers. I mean, Sam, you have evolved. I mean, you never would even touch about those betting numbers. I mean, impre- <laughs> impressive, my friend. I, have you been spending some time at the sportsbook? Huh? Have you been coming over at the Westgate? Uh, you know, after my show was over, something like that, sneaking in. I mean, come on. Sneaking in, sneaking in the back door, TC, making sure nobody sees me incognito <laughs> with my, my hat pulled down, my hoodie on, and my shades on. <laughs> you and Floyd Mayweather. There you go, man. There it is. Uh, <laughs> well, I, def- I, definitely, I definitely appreciate your sentiment, and, and, uh, and, and, and I appreciate your compliments and, and the platform on your show on a regular basis, two of all. So that means very, uh, quite a bit to me. Thank you very much. You got it, brother. All right. UNLV. Air Force on Saturday. Sam, normally we talk about uh, big-time college football games, and we're talking about you know the SEC game of the week or a Pac-12 or a Big Ten game of the week. you got to look at this card on Saturday, and there's Georgia and there's Tennessee, but after that, the next biggest game is Air Force and UNLV. We have got Mountain West Conference championship implications here, my friend. I mean, this is a big deal. Give me some thoughts. Um, well, if, if if you may allow me to humor you a little more, TC, um, yeah. the, the odds are saying this is a coin flip, right? <laughs> the Air Force is the obligatory, giving the obligatory three points as the home team. Yes. But, um, no, let's. I mean, let's zoom out here. Let's start with Barry Odom, uh, National Coach of the Year type stuff from him. I don't know if he's going to win the award. I have absolutely no idea, but he should absolutely be in the running. This is a historically decrepit program, devoid of interest, devoid of talent, devoid of being competitive for more than a game at a time, right? I mean, they, this has been a one of the bottom feeders in all of college football. And lo and behold, in his first year, they're 8-2. and two. They can beat you in a number of ways. Their special teams are impeccable. They have one of the best kickers in the country. The freshman quarterback, Jaden Mayaba, out of Liberty High School, uh, is, dare I say, one of the better freshman passers in the country this year, right? Uh, being uh, Operating Brennan Marion's go-go offense that, as a, as a result, of, you know, triple option elements of it, balance marrying the run in the pass. As a result, the Rebels are leading the uh, FBS in rushing touchdowns, uh, running the go-go offense with a freshman quarterback, and their, their, their top wideout, Ricky White, just went over 1,000 yards as good of a receiver as you're going to find in the group of five. Defensively, they pressure the passer, they stop the run, and they force turnovers on the back end. It's not perfect, but this has been an opportunistic defense, defense being Barry Odom's expertise, field of expertise. And much like Antonio Pierce, CC, Barry Odom doesn't feel like he needs to call the plays, right? He's letting his coaches coach. He is running the team, and there is just like uh, there has been in the last two weeks uh, at, with the Raiders, and we'll see what happens beyond that, right? We can only go off with the two-week sample size for now. But all season, there has been a real belief in, in what this UNLV team uh, can accomplish, and that started when he took the job. It started in December. It started with the offseason they had, going back to spring practices. The, the program was just more buttoned up. There was more of a pace. Uh, it, it was a, a step up in class compared to what we've seen uh, the last few years. There, I say a step up in a couple classes, being that this is a former head coach of an SEC school. So, uh, they're going to have their hands full on Saturday, absolutely no doubt about it. The triple option attack is hard to prepare for. You can you can coach it and drill it and prep all you want, and uh, it's there's three options. It's the triple option. So 
Uh, I'm expecting a great game. Um, the, the, the Rebels have, have certainly exceeded my expectations. I thought this was definitely a bowl team. I wrote that after the, uh, the opener that I felt that with Barry Odom and the infrastructure that they have in place under him and the schedule they played, that this was a team more than capable of making a bowl game. But outside of the Michigan game, uh, they've been they they've you know won eight of eight of the other nine and the, and the last the, the the lone loss in conference play to Fresno State came right down to the wire a game that they were right there to win on the road in a tough place to play so uh, UNLV so far it would seem like they're I mean if they win they should be ranked and that would set up uh, the opportunity for them to host the Mountain West Championship it's been a, a, a just an incredible season I don't have enough superlatives considering what the program has been through. Uh, and expecting a great game on Saturday, so so it's been incredible. And uh, and in terms of you know the coaching, the praise and whatnot, the awards. Brendan Marion yesterday was not was announced as a nominee, uh, the, the young offensive coordinator at UNLV for for the top assistant coach uh, in the country. So the coaching staff is getting recognition. Barry Odom should too. Uh, the coaching job he's doing has been second to none nationally, and, and hope he gets rewarded uh, at least with a nomination or for for one of the awards. He's been fantastic. And the Rebels have responded to them, and they are a complete football team, all three phases. That has buoyed their success. And you're talking about the Raiders, how they're playing hard for Antonio Pierce. And again, compared to Josh McDaniels, I mean, just it's a breath of fresh air. And, you know, that momentum can carry you a long way. And, you know, sure, they, they beat two cupcakes in, in the Giants and the Jets, even though the Jets have a very good defense and the Raiders got there. You know, much like, you know, the UNLV situation too, Sam. And like you said, when we looked at the schedule at the beginning, we said, okay, you know, it's really not that tough of a schedule. You know, what's going to happen when they go to Michigan. All right. You know, Vanderbilt's a little bit down. Then you get into the conference play and we're going like, okay, Nevada's not going to be very good. Colorado State, mm, not really sure about them. Fresno State, that's going to be a challenge. And like you said, they passed the test against uh, uh, Fresno State and had an opportunity to win that game. If it wasn't for the drop pass in the end zone, send that game to overtime, Rebels probably have a fantastic shot at winning that game. And then what we've seen, though, is Fresno State, even though they're 8-2, and two, they get drill-pressed by San Jose State last week, which, again, bodes well for UNLV. So I'm not trying to take anything away from the Rebels because you can only play who's on your schedule. They did not have a, they're not facing Boise State this year, who in Utah State and San Diego State, but those schools for the most part are really not that top tier anyway, Sam. So this has really played out very nicely for UNLV. But I think the one game on the schedule, at least for me, when I looked at down the road, I said Air Force. Okay. That's yep. the game. That's the circle. That's the one that they're probably going to have problems with and they're not going to win this game. Well, after what I saw from Air Force the last two weeks, where they got just ran out by Army, and I understand Commander-in-Chief trophy implications between Air Force and Navy and, and, and Army, I mean, but Air Force was at home, and they just got blitzed against Army. Now, last week, they go to Hawaii, and they get hammered. Now, granted, their starting quarterback, they lost him. I uh, don't know if he's going to play or not, so that could be a factor. But here's the big question. What? has happened to Air Force, especially the way they start off this season, I believe, winning their first eight games? Yeah, great question. Um, great question. The Air Force team that we've seen the last couple of weeks hasn't I mean, hasn't all resembled the one that was ranked in the top 25 PC um, earlier in the season. That being said, they're at home, and if, if last week wasn't a wake-up call, the, the, the drubbing to Hawaii, then I don't know what was. Uh, I don't know what would be. I'm expecting their best, their their absolute best effort for them to be buttoned up and sharp and and certainly ready defensively, right for what what the Rebels can offer. They can beat you in all kind of ways. They can go down the field. They can run the they can run the ball with a number of different backs. I mean, they're the, the go again the go go scheme installed by Brendan Marion borrows elements from from the option offense. So there are there's going to be some optionality there, and you would expect the Rebels to be buttoned up and or the the, the Falcons rather to be buttoned up and ready to defend against it. But you're 100% right. They haven't been as sharp. And if you would have told anybody before the season that UNLV would be controlling its own destiny in the Mountain West uh, and have the opportunity to win the conference championship and certainly uh, at least secure where the conference, you know, having the inside track at least to win the conference championship, um, I think you'd have been called delusional and crazy. But here we are, uh, the Rebels, the surging Rebels, rebounding, uh, rebounding nicely after their Fresno State loss, clicking on all cylinders, uh, I was impressed against Wyoming, how they handled the adversity, right? Wyoming made it a game for a little bit there 
and and just and that's football. Sometimes you're not going to play perfect for four quarters. The Rebels, uh, situationally, I, I want to add, uh, have been really really good and, and responded situationally. And when they had to have drives, they had them. So uh, it's going to be a fantastic matchup. And and you're 100 percent right that this was the game that you kind of looked at at the schedule to be a, a real litmus test of where they of where they're at. But regardless, win or loss, TC on Saturday, this has already been an overwhelmingly a successful season and just kind of shows big picture, not just this season, but big picture, what the capabilities are uh, at UNLV when you have the right coach in place. Uh, they, they totally turned over the roster, brought in several transfers that have contributed at a really high level. And, and when you get buy-in, when you get belief, and when you happen to have, you know, a couple talented, talented people uh, come along the way and, you know, maybe some overachievers guys that you didn't expect to step up, look at, look at what you're capable of. So, uh, it's going to be, I'm sure, a great atmosphere in Colorado, in Colorado Springs this weekend. Uh, our Ed Graney uh, will be on the road covering for the Review Journal and, and re- I guess just really excited to see uh, what happens and what's all of a sudden a momentous weekend, uh, not, not just for the city, for what's happening here, TC, in terms of F1 and whatnot, but for the football teams that play here as well. Yeah, looking forward to that. I mean, look at look at Ed. I mean, Ed's getting the uh, the cushy assignments. He gets a chance to go to the White House, which I can relate to, right? Yeah. Then he then he comes back and he's now he's going to Colorado Springs. Look at that. You know, he's got that military thing going. Did, did Ed enlist or something that I that I wasn't aware of? I mean, you could ask him that for me. I mean, he might have he might have snuck into the, the, the service the way I snuck I sneak into the Westgate. You feel me? <laughs> yeah, I like it, man. I like it. Final thing here with UNLV, Sam. They're going to a bowl game, all right? Yep. And, I, and I think it's still a little premature right now until we see what happens this week. They have two games left. You've got the game against Air Force, but then they come home and they play a 12-noon game next Saturday, a week from this Saturday, against San Jose State. That is no cupcake, as we know as well, too. What kind of bowl game do you think UNLV is going to get now? And the reason I bring this up, and I'm going to preface it here, is because a lot d- depends on these next two games, especially this game against Air Force. Because they beat Air Force. Now we know Mountain West Conference Championship game, you know, basically, and they could go to a, a much larger bowl game. But I'm really curious on how the, these bowl committees are viewing UNLV because you said it perfectly, Sam, you know, doldrums. I mean, we're talking bottom of the barrel for not only the last few years, the last decade, but the last two decades, UNLV. I mean, you don't even talk about UNLV when it comes to football, let alone bowl games. So I'm just wondering, is this going to be skewed a little bit? Or are these bowl committees going to say, hey, let's let's look at what Barry Odom's done. Let's look at these wins that UNLV has. And I hope, Sam, that they, you know, are not going to the Bahamas Bowl or or some, you know, third tier bowl that they're really going to go somewhere decent. I'm with you. I'm with you. I, I I don't I mean, it's hard to tell these days, TC, right, is if meritocracy is, is a myth or if it actually exists, but based on their merit, they should be playing a power five opponent, right? They played the Rebels played. They played Michigan tougher than than uh, my alma mater, the University of Minnesota, did, yeah. and a and just and, and a lot of other teams in the Big Ten, right? That that's their big kind of game that you can look at. Of course, they weren't competitive, but they also didn't lose by sixty five either, right? Like they didn't get totally destroyed. They got destroyed, yes, but they showed fight. They showed they they showed a level of competitiveness, and they weren't blown out uh, as bad as some other teams in the Big Ten as it pertains to their Mountain West schedule. Uh, I mean, look, look where they're at in the standings. They've been the best team in, I mean, pretty much all season in the Mountain West with a chance to really cement that. I hope that UNLV gets the opportunity uh, to play a Power 5 opponent, right? CBS's, for what it's worth, CBS's bowl game projection has the, the Rebels uh, pe- uh, pegged for the December 16th Los Angeles Bowl against UCLA. That's traditionally Mountain West against Pac-12. I think that would be a fantastic matchup. UCLA, uh, of course, have, you know, possessing a stout defense this year but not the offense that we've seen in years past with Dorian Thompson-Robinson out of Bishop Gorman, T.C., who, by the way, uh, it was announced in Cleveland by, by Kevin Stefanski, will be starting for the 6-3 and three yes. Cleveland Browns this weekend. Yes. So uh, a big, big opportunity for DCR actually having a week of practice to prep. But, but the, the, clearly the Bruins have missed him. He was, a, what, a five-year starter there, has all kinds of records. I think if that was a matchup that UNLV was, was ultimately picked to play, and that's the kind of game that they can win based on what we've seen from their defense and based on uh, their multifaceted ways of, of moving the ball. They haven't been um, outmanned by any team uh, this season in terms of just at the line of scrimmage or anything, save 
for Michigan, and, and we have enough of a sample size now to know that, look, UCLA, yes, they play in the Pac-12. Yes, this might be the best year the Pac-12 has ever had in its final year. And at the same time, they're not Michigan. They don't have the same kind of talent in the trenches that Michigan does and would, would, would pose, I think, a really interesting matchup for UNLV. So that's the kind of bowl game I hope to see them in. And look, if they handle business and beat Air Force and, and, and beat San Jose State and win the conference championship, then maybe you're looking at even a step up from that. And that would be, uh, I mean, of massive prestige, not only for the football program, but for the university in, ge- in general, uh, as it looks to, to continue to build on what I think has been overall a pretty solid year uh, for sports at the university. So uh, what a time, TC. What a time for the Rebels. What a time for the football team. And, and uh, you know, first things first, right? Uh, they, they can bolster their chances of playing in a great ball by handling business on Saturday. It's going to be a, a tough environment. They're going to be playing at altitude, and they're going to be ha- having to adjust to the style, uh, a really unique style that another team plays. If they can get through that and continue to handle business, no reason they shouldn't be against Power 5 opposition with a real chance to test how special this 2023 group is against the Power 5 opponent uh, by whom they're not obviously overmatched like they were against the Wolverines. Sam, I'm just hoping that I do not have to see him in the avocados from Mexicure Cure Bowl or the famous toastery bowl. What, what's a famous toastery? I have no idea. I mean, some of these bowls, as we know, how about the 68 Ventures Bowl? I don't want to see him there, Sam. I, I don't know. I don't want to see him in the, in the, what, um, you know, the gobowling.com military bowl. I don't think we'll see him in that one, but yeah. Or, or your personal favorite, Sam, the Duke's Mayo Bowl. That is my personal favorite. How'd you know? <laughs> I don't know, man. But yeah, but, but like I said, I think you know, get a victory against Air Force if they could pull that off. Uh, that would be their ninth win, uh, and then that could, uh, uh, you know, again, th- they win these next two games that will only elevate them, right? And we understand there's there's conference ties to these certain bowls. We we understand that, but uh, how cool would it be to see UNLV at ten and two? Wow, uh, it would be massive. And and look, they, they have they have the opportunity. They've performed like a team all year, capable of winning double digit games. Uh, not to beat the horse to death, but yeah. they they do pretty much everything pretty well, and they're solid situationally. Like that, that's going to keep you in a lot of football games. And uh, and and ten and two is looking right at them so long as they handle business. And look, maybe even eleven and two, right? If they if they win the conference championship. That's but first right. things first, yeah, they got yeah, they yeah. got to go. Go down there and tangle with the Falcons. That's not going to be easy. I'm expecting a great game. All right, Sam, we will uh, look forward to seeing you at the fight tomorrow night and also at the Cricket Celebration Bowl, if you can make that. <laughs> I'll see what I can do, TC. I, you know, the, the, uh, the, we're gassing up the PJ right now. I'm going to try and get over to that press conference tomorrow for, for, for Fury, Fury and Usyk, and then we'll be in Miami uh, this weekend for Raiders Dolphins. So really looking forward to, to everything. Um, the city has to offer. Can't wait for tomorrow night, and appreciate you having me on the show. Take care, brother. Appreciate you. You too. There it is, Sam Gordon from the Las Vegas Review Journal. I forgot to ask Sam, uh, you know, what uh, what car he would be driving down the Las Vegas Strip Saturday night around ten thirty eight p.m. His Formula One car. There it is. My, do you know that my man, who you know, who I used to manage, who's been in studio, has a bowl named after him, the Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl. You gotta love that. Tony the Tiger has his own bowl now. What? What's oh, a different Tony the Tiger? Oh, it's not three-time world champion Tony the Tiger Lopez Sun Bowl. It's Tony the Tiger Cereal Sun Bowl. Oh. Did you know the Pop-Tarts Bowl was here? Can I go to the Pop-Tarts Bowl? <laughs> Every year. Can we go to Orlando? I, we need to go to the, to the Pop-Tarts Bowl. Wow. I want credentials. Can you imagine I would, you know, what they give each team and media members on? We would we would get loads of pop tarts. Loads of pop tarts. The question is, would you want the plain pop tarts or do you want the frosting? You got to go frosting. Okay, when I say plain though, I don't mean it's plain plain. I mean they have the pop tarts that are plain on the outside without frosting, but they have like the blueberry inside. I know what you're or talking about the cinnamon or the strawberry, uh, maybe even a raspberry. I think, or then you get the extra extra sugar 
and you get the frosting on top of that. You got to have the extra, extra sugar. I'm, I'm the extra, extra cinnamon. Cinnamon Pop-Tart with the cinnamon glaze and the cinnamon inside. Give me cinnamon on my Pop-Tart. I haven't had a Pop-Tart forever. I used to love Pop-Tarts. I think you need to get the... I think we need to go to the Direct TV no, Bowl. No, yeah. So I can go off on people? So you just go off on them all the time? Uh, everybody. Just everybody. Uh, uh, don't get me going. Where Where's the uh, the YouTube Bowl? Don't give me that. It's just a spinning circle. Yeah, thank you very much. I love that. All right, we come back. We'll give you the latest in the NFL from today. This is Showtime Sean Porter. You know I'm tuning into the T.C. Martin Show. Hey, some programming notes coming your way. Tomorrow we are here. We'll be handicapping the weekend. College football Saturday, NFL on Sunday. Friday, I will be on the road to Sacktown. Brian Feldman will be filling in. Marco D'Angelo back from his soiree in Pittsburgh, Penn State, all that stuff. We got our best bets happening on Friday. So, yep, Brian Feldman will be hosting. I'll be back on Monday. All right. And then we'll be back at the Westgate next week after the F1 traffic fiascos are behind us. And will it be behind us? No, it's not. They're already saying that it's going to last till after well after thanksgiving you're kidding no why you mean clean up and all that stuff because they have to clean up everything and re mm. Mm. they gotta they gotta replant trees they gotta dude, it's so crazy replant trees there's no trees in the middle of the road have you not driven down the strip lately there's yeah, palm trees i told you the story i was uh, stuck in on the strip for an hour last saturday night between the, the between the lanes. Yeah, see, I thought that. Yeah, there's a bunch of palm trees. Yeah. Well, Today they had to cut two of those down. Oh, jeez. I was wondering about that. I was saying, where do they have these trees? But then remember, I saw them get rid of some earlier a couple weeks ago. I mentioned that was that, in front of the Bellagio. Yeah. Yeah. Because they had to put in the grant the, the stands. Hmm. You gonna be watching F one? Maybe a lap just to see what it looks like. Are okay. Are you going to try to attempt to go down there? And get a peaky peaky boo up close and personal in person. TV? No. TV? Yes. <laughs> it's the only way I'll go. See, or, you're see one it. who likes to do the whole parade thing or all this other kind of stuff. When you know that there's going to be two, three hundred thousand people down there, but you're not going to take a peaky boo at F1. Not a chance. I'm with you. You're not going to escape like me, though. The far, yeah. See, here's the difference. The farthest that I'm going to be, or the closest I'm going to be to the strip, yeah, is this damn building. <laughs> Why are you cursing the building for? What the building ever do to you? you? No, I have my reasons. That's true. The building has done a lot to you. I said. <laughs> Let's talk some basketball. Let's do that. Oh my goodness! Uh, last night, the Warriors are playing the Minnesota Timberwolves at the Chase Center in San Francisco. We had a melee, melee at the game last night. We're only a minute and a half into the game. There is no score, and this happens. Working on Wiggins. We'll step back three. And so we're scoreless. We'll stay 0-0 the first two minutes. And then, look at Thompson Thompson. What is going on with that? Wow. You've got a full-on fracas going on. Raymond came in to defend Clay. This, this got out of hand very quickly. Look at look at Clay Thompson's jersey. It's ripped up. Clay's boxing him out. Puts his hand on his jersey. Jade McDaniel's puts his hand on his jersey. Now they're swinging each other around. Gobert gets in there. Draymond's got him in a headlock. Him on the left side over here. Yeah, they just Clay had his hand on him, trying to like box him out, and then. They were swinging each other around. Warriors, it's clear. They want to send a message that you're not going to bully us. We're going to be physical. We're going to match your physicality. Not doing. And there it is. Last night at the Chase Center. Uh, Bully ball. So what happened, if you haven't seen the video, uh, the Warriors um, missed a shot. They're coming back down on defense. And uh, on the shot attempt by the Warriors, um, McDaniels, uh, Jaden McDaniels is trying to basically block out Clay Thompson, 
and they got tangled up, and then Clay was going back down court to play defense, and McDaniels grabs Clay Thompson's jersey, spins him around, rips the jersey, rips the jersey, and Clay's locked up with him. And the referees see this, they blow the whistle. Here come the players, bench is empty, and where who comes to the rescue? Draymond. Draymond Green comes, and what's he do? He doesn't go after Jalen McDaniels, whoever, Rudy Gobert. Now, think about this. Why Rudy Gobert? Why there you go. Why Rudy Gobert? The Rudy Gobert is like always in some type of, of, of trouble, isn't he? Not too many people like Rudy Gobert. Could this go back to COVID? How's Donovan Mitchell still feel about Rudy Gobert? Oh, yeah, you know, what, touching everything and, you know, trying to make jokes during COVID. Oh, what happens? Uh, his teammate Donovan Mitchell gets COVID. That didn't go over well. Uh, nightmare. And Draymond gets Rudy Gobert in a chokehold. All right? A fine chokehold. A Hulk Hogan chokehold. A Rowdy Roddy Piper sleeper hold. That's what you had going on there. Beautiful. There's all kinds of memes out there. There's all kinds of comparisons on social media showing the chokehold by Draymond Green over on Rudy Gobert to many famous wrestling chokeholds. Give me your best wrestling chokehold. Now, yesterday we had, uh, we had Big Al, my tag team partner in the NWC. All right. I, my, my partner, my, my, I'm on air partner. Think. And then we, we, we talked about stuff like this. We had big Bill Cartwright, big game James checked in. There it is. Who, who gave the best chokehold? I'm trying to think somebody in the eighties who had like a good Hogan's was pretty damn good because the whole, the whole Python thing in his arms were humongous. I'm thinking I'm going to give you one. Ivan Putsky. Okay. Polish power. Yeah. Ivan Putsky. He did that. Piper's arms weren't that big. But he was great. No, he was always hold. deep, though. Yeah, That's, he he, he, deep, he yeah. got the deepness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, and then you know with the sleeper hold with the the forehead uh, arm on the forehead and, and that poor guy's like fate, uh, forehead was all red. Yeah, blood vessels about ready to pop out. Yeah, that's what we saw with Draymond Green last night. So ejections in the game. Jane McDaniel's Minnesota gone. Clay Thompson gone. Draymond Green gone. Do you agree with Clay getting ejected? No. Only guy that should have been ejected was McDaniel's. End of story. Hold on, no, I'm gonna stick up for okay. Draymond. Should Draymond should have been ejected because he had a, had him in a damn ch- chokehold. He did. He did, didn't let go. He didn't you let know, go. Like the referees going, we gotta bring it. One, two, three. And then they stop, and then they they bring it back. Yeah, he he got the DQ. <laughs> he he held on for about what ten seconds. Yeah, easily. That would have been a DQ. Yeah. Um, that he's the only one, other one I can see. No, I don't no, see no. why Clay. I'm fine. I'm fine with yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Uh, Clay was but, tussled. It wasn't like yes, he was because Clay was was in, involved, engaged, engaged with yeah. him, and that sort of thing. And of course, Clay's not going to punk out. He's going to you know come back at you know McDaniel's. Yeah, it was it was kind of goofy. It was kind of goofy. Rudy Gobert thinks Draymond Green aimed to put him to sleep. I told you the sleeper hold, but Draymond, but says Draymond isn't skilled at choking. Here's Rudy Gobert's quote. He's grabbing me. He's grabbing me. He's grabbing me. But the choke wasn't good enough. Yeah, it wasn't enough for me to really have to go to sleep, but he tried. He tried really hard, but it wasn't good enough to where I felt like I was really in danger of falling asleep or something like that. Now, I got to change this. I got I got to change this up to <clears throat> to wrestling voice here. I don't know which wrestling oh, yeah. voice. Who am I going to go with here? Uh, let's see. Somebody's in a chokehold. Uh, not Piper cuz Piper wouldn't say this kind of stuff. This is a, a this is a this is a bad baby face or a bad heel. I don't know. You know, he's grabbing me. He's grabbing me. He's grabbing me. But the choke wasn't good enough. Nah, it wasn't good enough to really have to go to sleep. But he tried. He tried really hard. But it wasn't good enough to where I felt like I was really in danger of falling asleep or something like that. It was a long time. How about my, uh, should I go Nikolai Volkov? But if you know how to choke it, it wasn't any worse. He tried to. His intention was to really take me out. And I kept my hands up the whole time just to show the officials that I was trying to 
escalate the situation. Nikolai wouldn't say that. Not bad? Not bad at all. <laughs> what is he saying, Gobert? What's he saying here? If you had to give Rudy Gobert a wrestling name or match him up with a famous wrestler, who would it be? I don't know. Uh, heel or babyface? Heel. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Heel. No one likes him. Yeah. No. Who's one of those heels that just made you sick? It still wasn't very good. Some jobber. You gotta get, he's yeah, got to no, be a jobber, it, right? I'm going to go, okay, so right. I know you probably weren't paying attention back in the day. Yeah. Um, Zeus. Yeah, what about Zeus? Zeus. Yeah. That's Zeus. Because he's powerful. Yeah. He's he, decent. Yeah. Zeus couldn't speak. Yeah, exactly. So that's... You're talking about my boy, Tiny Lester? Yeah. 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 Yeah, Tiny came to work for me one time. Did he? You know that, did you? No. Yeah, Zeus. Yeah, yeah. Had w- Zeus. Was he Zeus or was he... He was, he was Zeus. Oh. Of course he's Zeus. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Interesting. I had two different Doink the Clowns. <laughs> didn't everybody, though? I, I, I didn't want to do the Doink gimmick. I didn't want to do it. But, eh, might sell some tickets. I did one Doink. I said, that was enough of that. I yeah. love... Dude, Doink was so good. <laughs> Don won. Uh, did Doink one time. He used to do Doink. A lot of people didn't know that. Did Doink the Clown. My guy Don Juan. Denver, Colorado. NWC fame. I like it when he turned heel. Yeah. He had that evil music. Yeah, yeah. It was stupid. Clowns, evil. That's like Kramer and Seinfeld being afraid of... Of the clowns of the circus. Forget that. All right. Deshaun Watson will miss the rest of the season. Cleveland Browns announced that the franchise quarterback will undergo season-ending surgery and repair a fracture in his throwing shoulder. MRI confirmed all this on Monday. So guess who's getting the start? Sam Gordon alluded to it. Dorian Thompson-Robinson completed just 19 of 36 passes for 121 yards and threw three interceptions in one game he started. The 28-3 loss to the Baltimore Ravens. There you have it. All right. Miss any part of the show, go to the website. Check it all out at tcmartinshow.com. Check out our interview up there with Timmy B, Timmy Brando. That's up there. Everything else, go to the classic interview page, current interview page. Go way back. You'll love it. All great stuff up there. And check out the Raiders recap from Sunday's victory against the Jets. And Raiders get ready to take on the Dolphins coming up this weekend in Miami on Sunday. Tomorrow, Scott Spritzer will join us. Plenty more coming your way tomorrow. Paul Gutierrez as well. Who else we got tomorrow? Thursday, Thursday, Thursday. Well, I guess you just have to tune in, you know. Uh, plenty more coming your way tomorrow. We reconvene tomorrow from 2 to 4 p.m. Hasta la vista, baby. What's that?